Alan Bratton, head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. He's won a natty as a player, an assistant, and a head coach, part of that 2018 national championship team. How about Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, Austin Eckrode? We talk about those three players and more on a special Stripe Show podcast. But you look at Victor down the stretch, makes the big putt on the 72nd hole. He's got two wins now, um, both in 2020. He won the Puerto Rico Open and then now Mayakoba. Tell us something about Victor that maybe we don't know. I mean, he's the 15th ranked player in the world. I actually played with him, Alan, in a pro-am right after he won the U.S. Amateur. He is like one of the nicest young men that I think I've ever met. I mean, he's, he's a breath of fresh air. He's laughing. He's smiling. He's having fun, which is weird to say, but you know, so many of these guys, they kind of on tour, they don't show a lot of emotion, right? They're very streamlined, but with Victor, it's like out there and there's this energy about him that is, that is kind of contagious. Um, so I really enjoyed my round with him, but well, tell us something that we may not know about Victor Hovland. Well, I think, you know, you've kind of tapped on a couple of things. It, the way he goes and competes, the way he looks like he's just enjoying the the situation is what draws people to him, fans or whatnot. And it actually drew me to him when I was recruiting him. I liked that his ball flight repeated and those kind of things. But uh, I really liked the way he, he thrived in the moment. And I think that's a confidence that he has. And um, even down to, we just mentioned him, I mean, I, I'm, I think there were a lot of comments and if people stayed and, and watched the broadcast after where he said he was not comfortable in those situations. And if you look at his interview after he won in Puerto Rico, you know, he had, he had struggled a little bit around the greens in Puerto Rico. He had some bad shifts and they asked him about it and he was so honest <laughs> and I would say confident. He said, I just suck at chipping, <laughs> you know, no tour players ever going to say that, right? but he's confident enough to be uh, vulnerable enough to admit that and not be afraid of it. And uh, he's so brutally honest that way. And he always had, has been, he's a smart kid, um, thinks about his answers. He listens to you when you speak. And that's what made him, uh, makes him very coachable. Uh, He's got a thick filter and he's stubborn, but at the same time, he's smart and he listens. And again, he's not afraid to try things. I'll use a couple of other examples that would show that confidence before the U.S. Amateur. I mentioned that European tour event that he played. He um, he was playing the first round, and I, my phone starts to blow up from people like, what is Victor doing with his backswing? I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I, I didn't know. I wasn't watching the event. And he had gone to the pause swing that everybody's seen him do some. Yeah. And he he didn't do that. He would do that as a drill from time to time, but he had never done it on the golf course. And he played the entire round that way with his driver. And I saw highlights and he shot like a bogey free 68, something like that. So I call him up and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You know, how long have you been doing that? He's like, uh, since this morning. And and, I mean, who's going to go play their first European tour event and be confident enough to try something like that. And of course the next round he shoots 80 and he didn't do it again. Um, Then he goes through, he didn't do that through his whole college season, other than he would do it as a drill, like lots of players. And uh, he felt like his speed got up doing that and he could turn the ball over a little bit. He goes through, you mentioned me caddying for him. I caddied for him in his last event as as an amateur. 
at the U.S. Open, and he plays great. But one of the greatest driving exhibitions in the history of golf at the U.S. Open, I forget how many strokes he gained versus the field. It was like eight or nine, something like that. And sure enough, he rolls up in Hartford, and on particular holes out there, the first event is a pro, and he's doing the pause swing a few times because he thought it'd help him get to a couple par five. So I think that inner confidence, that honesty um, is different than a lot of players. And that's a real asset for him that gives him confidence to perform in those situations. And I think Austin ties into that, has learned from that. Um, He's supremely confident. Austin doesn't, uh, he remembers his successes and forgets, you know, uh, missteps quickly and um, it's been fun to watch Austin transition, not only as a golfer, but in his leadership role on the team uh, as a freshman coming in, you know, not needing to necessarily be a leader with because we had guys like Zach Boshu, Chris Ventura and Victor. And then as those guys have moved on to watch Austin take over a leadership role on, on our team has, again, been a, a spectacular thing to watch in his progression. And I think that has helped him even raise his level of confidence on the course and ultimately his performance strokes gain T to green or strokes gain. Yeah. T to green. You said the U S open Victor Hovland, right? Yeah. Just was, strokes gain driving that week. I think it was ridiculous. I mean, I can tell you where he hit it. Yeah. But uh, here, yeah, it was, it's like a big number here. I think it's like nine. Yeah. I think it's, it's between eight and nine. Yeah. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I mean, now, obviously, they narrowed the fairways at the U.S. Open. They may not have narrowed them as they as much as they wanted, but they were they were narrow, not so narrow for a U.S. Open, but narrow for Pebble Beach. And um, there's a lot of holes out there that a lot of guys don't hit a driver, especially on the front nine. Well, Victor hit driver every single day on number two, every single day on number three, three out of four days on number four every day on six and every day on nine. And he hit every fairway didn't miss a fairway for the week on the front nine. And then for the entire week, he missed the fairway three days on number 11, but two of those days they were in the first cut. So he approached the, he approached the green for the week. He missed the fairway a couple times on 14, but then laid up into the fairway. Mm -hmm. So he only had to approach the green from the uh, primary rough twice. Wow. He, he approached the green from the fairway bunker once, uh, the first cut, I think, three times, and the primary cut twice. I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. Uh, in, in a U.S. Open, that was how, how good you know, a, of a drive, driving exhibition that was. And another thing people won't know, is that week uh, he was trying to decide. He had played King Irons some of his college career, but the bulk of his college career he had played TaylorMade Irons, and but he'd used a ping driver quite a bit and um, recognized uh, Karsten Solheim, the founder of King, is from Norway. And Victor and Chris Ventura both recognized their responsibility kind of and connection back to their heritage in Norway and um, what that can do. He's just a kid that that means something to not everybody Mm -hmm. does, does that do so that history and his place in the game and what he can do for young players in Norway 
he gets that. Yeah. So he had he was experimenting with some equipment. He loved the ping equipment, but he hadn't decided exactly what he was going to do. So even in the practice rounds, he had a tailor-made driver. He didn't he rolled up to the US Open with only the ping irons. He felt like the irons were better. And uh, so he was just using the irons and and he he hadn't used them in competition, but he wanted to test them out and felt like what better place than the US Open. So again, <laughs> a confidence there. So he had a ping driver that was fantastic and in testing he had a tailor-made driver that he'd used and they were both good. And the we're on the range Wednesday night before we go. And he had said something to the ping guys about an adjustment. He wanted a little less spin on the driver, whatever. And they bring it up and I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Don't bring that. He might use it tomorrow. <laughs> go away. Well, they bring it anyway. And he hits five balls with it and he goes, yep, that's the one I'm using. So the driver that he put on that exhibition, he never hit on the golf course much less in competition, never hit it on the golf course until the second hole of the first round at Pebble Beach. And he pounded it down the middle. And like I say, uh, he basically didn't miss a fairway for the week. Wow. That's a cool story. Um, God, there's so many just, you know, cool stories like that, that caddies have, you know, inside the ropes and knowing the player like that. And, you know, it's uh, that there's so much there I want to comment on, um, that, uh, that you talked about and talking about Victor Hovland, who now has two wins on the PGA tour, that experience in catting for him when he won the USAM and, you know, these, these young players, and I want to tie this back to Austin Eckroat for a minute, who um, is a senior at Oklahoma state. It's going to be turning pro and of course T12 at Mayakoba and just, just a very impressive player. He really impressed me um, in, in talking with him and watching his game. Let me, let me throw some, some words at you that I think describe Victor and I think even kind of describe Austin and then maybe I'm missing a few here, but they really, I think is consistent with these young players, you know, when they come out, one is, I think you mentioned honesty, you know, there's like a level of transparency there um, with these players. And I think Rory kind of in some ways, set the stage um, with that. There is some vulnerability with these players. I think there's some risk taking here with these young players um, as well. They're not afraid to take on some risk. We've seen that with Bryson DeChambeau. They're certainly very confident and they're certainly, I think, Alan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're way more prepared and educated to make the transition to professional golf. What am I missing there as we, we kind of take it from Victor now back to Austin. Do those describe Austin and then just maybe in general what you're seeing with these super talented young players making the jump from college golf to professional golf? I think so. I think that describes him. And, and obviously, you know, they're different. Um, but Austin has gotten to learn from all those guys. Mm. And I think you really have to credit, in our case, I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to all the players that we've had before. I mean, that's one of the, the real powers of our program. That's difficult to explain to people. It's, it's like trying to explain experience to someone or um, because again, elite level golf isn't all about your technique and, and um, swing changes and those kind of things. And I think, you know, as much good as tiger did, you know, tiger, changed instructors a few times and, and talked a lot about that kind of stuff uh, about his technique and different things and was able to play through that and perform at an amazing level. But 
that wasn't what made Tiger who he was. Butch Harmon didn't create Tiger Woods. Right. He changed his golf swing to then the swings that he changed. He created the swing that then they redid after, you know, before 2000. And I got to watch that progression. And and I think what you're seeing in guys now, you're, you're seeing uh, players are more prepared. Um, and another thing you really have to, to – uh, credit. I, I was talking about experience and all the nuances and things that you learn uh, that our players are blessed. Our current players get to learn from all the former players that we have that come back and um, get to spend time around them. They get to ask questions and learn and, and uh, from them so that the players are more prepared. Golf instruction has gotten better. Um, so you have to credit that players are, are um not being forced to change certain things to look a certain way. And then you really have to credit guys that stuck their neck out and um, showed them that you can do it as a young player, like a Ricky Fowler or Jordan Spieth or, um, and then you have to credit the environment of the game as well. The access to the tour for players is easier than it ever was, especially for amateurs. There's tournaments that will give a, an exemption to a kid that wins a junior golf tournament or wins a collegiate tournament or this PGA tour U ranking has really helped tournament directors recognize that. Yes, it makes sense to help put a kid in into the field like they did with Austin. You know, we can't thank those guys at Mayakoba enough for allowing him the opportunity mm -hmm. to learn and help his game develop. And then, uh, show the world the product that college golf is putting out there. So that's a huge benefit going forward for the college game. And those guys kind of have the permission to do that. You know, again, Tiger started that. He, he left after two years and has gone and, and performed. There's still strong evidence that the longer you're in college, the better off you do, which obviously inspired the PJ tour to, incentivize those guys to do that mm -hmm. with with the program that they have so and then that access and all those things come together to allow your guys like john rom and colin murakawa and they've continued to show young kids that you don't have to wait yeah and we tell our guys all the time that you need to start acting and becoming a professional now they don't let you take strokes away because you call yourself a pro and that your game will dictate when you should do that, um, there's no advantage. There's no shortcuts. And um, I'll tie that back a little to Victor. You mentioned the Arnold Palmer Invitational. When Victor won the U.S. Amateur, to his credit, again, smart kid, he wasn't bent on turning pro early. And he hadn't decided he was going to leave school. He let his game be the driver. And when he played in the Arnold Palmer Invitational and he made the cut, you know, in a big-time event, and he felt like he didn't have his game, that was when he decided that, okay, I think that I'm ready and the things that I need to develop, you know, I can get out there and I agree with him. You know, mm -hmm. the things that, that he, he obviously, everybody, you can always improve, but the things that he needed to develop, you know, he was ready to advance and transition to that. And that's our goal is to get our guys as prepared as they can be and then that they can transition and, um, hopefully avoid mistakes of trying to go too early. A lot of people think there's some shortcut or benefit where I feel like we've had some guys and uh, Ricky being one, we've had some guys actually do it that could win on the PGA tour as amateurs. Mm -hmm. Austin showed he got in contention on Saturday and Sunday 
you know, made a couple runs on Sunday. He made five birdies in a row and had lots of chances. So it's, it's not so elusive for him to think that that could be possible. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan Niebrugge from our team finished sixth in the British open in 2015 as an amateur had an outside chance at, you know, just got to know what it felt like to be in contention. Ricky Fowler, while he was here, I felt like he was, um, good enough to win on the PGA tour. And he proved that in that he stayed amateur through the summer and his second PGA tour event that he played as a pro, he lost in a playoff. Mm -hmm. Pablo Martin won on the European tour while he was here as an amateur. So, um, what what a incredible deal it would be if we had someone win a major as an amateur <laughs> and basically Matthew Wolf almost did that mm-hmm. he's supposed to still be at Oklahoma State his game was moving in that way as well where i felt like he was in a spot where he could win on the PJ tour as an amateur you know victor same thing both of those guys you know again they didn't improve I mean, they they didn't all of a sudden become good players in a month because they turned pro, you know, so Matt's win in Minnesota, holy cow, what would that have been like if he were still an amateur or even take it one step farther? He finished second in the U.S. Open Mm -hmm. this fall while he could have been a senior at Oklahoma State. Wow, what if an amateur, (laughs) what if someone went out and showed you could win one of those as an amateur? Yeah. Yeah. you know, what would that be worth? You're talking history. That hasn't been done in a long, long time. So I think that's possible with the way players are, are the combination of everything that I just rambled about. Uh, players improving. They're not afraid of the stage. The tour has afforded, you know, these best players access. And uh, then you've got players out there, Rory and Ricky and uh, Jordan Spieth and Bryson DeChambeau and John Rahm and Austin Eckroat. Victor, Matt, those guys showing them that, hey, it's okay to to go and do that and do it quickly. And again, there's still strong evidence to the longer you prepare in college, if you do it the right way, that then that transition can be smooth for you and hopefully a long-term 20-year career on the PJ Tour. Yeah, and I can't wait for people to to continue to watch Austin Eckroat on TV next week as part of the College Showcase, which... You know, we that's where we got to know each other when we were in Scottsdale National. And and you mentioned PGA Tour University. They're very much part of this show. And, you know, it's the it's we had four of the top 10 in PGA Tour University in college on showcase, of course, with the four amateurs and they play for charity. And um, I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say he hits a lot of uh, big time shots and it'll be fun to watch. Don't miss it. 7 p.m. Eastern on Golf Channel next Wednesday. And you mentioned some of the uh, Cowboys. You know, I'm just thinking here, I've been writing down some names here. You know, of course, Ricky Fowler, everyone knows him. Taylor Gooch was there. Um, Morgan Hoffman, Charles Howe, the Keenies, Hank and Tripp, and Hunter Mayhan. These are just some of the names that are coming to my head. Peter Uline. And then Christopher Ventura, who you mentioned, was part of that national championship team in 2018, finding his way on the PGA Tour. And then you get down and you mentioned his name, Matthew Wolf, which I want to finish up with here. You know, you got to talk about Matthew Wolf, right? He is, um, he's been a lot of fun to watch. And I, I tell you, you know, he won at the 3M Open, as you mentioned. Uh, he was fourth at the PGA, second at the U.S. Open. When you say Matthew Wolf to someone, the first thing they think of is, well, yeah, he's the kid that's got that unusual swing, right? And of course, he works with George Gankus. I've I've known George forever. And and I'm curious, coach, when you have a player 
like a Matthew and just maybe any player in general, and they come to college and they have now, you know, these kids have their swing coaches that they've been working with. And we know the swing is just part of the equation here, right? I mean, this is, like you said, Butch Harmon didn't make Tiger Woods and no coach is making that player. They're helping them, right? But it's got to come within. The player's hitting the shots and has to handle the situation. But I'm curious when like a Matthew Wolf's on campus and they have a swing coach, maybe things aren't clicking. How does that dynamic work, Alan, with the player slash coach and, and, and where you're trying to do the best thing for the player to get back on track? Well, uh, one thing I would say, I would back up. And while I said Butch Harmon did not make Tiger Woods, Butch Harmon is has to be the greatest coach of elite players at not screwing them up. Yeah, agreed. And when you get an elite player, I think you really have to recognize that there's not, there's a lot of things you can tell them that will mess them up or get them going in the wrong direction and not as many that will make them better. Where if you're teaching a beginner or a, you know, high handicap player, that thing's in the reverse. There's a lot of things you know, you can look like a miracle worker. Oh my gosh, you <laughs> helped my game so much. Well, yeah, it's because you sucked to begin with and, and a good coach. I mean, a good coach is going to go to the low hanging fruit. You're going to improve quickly. And so um, I have great respect for all golf instructors with, with what they do. And again, with elite players, you have to, one, I think, get to know them. And when they come to us, they're obviously in a new environment. When we, we try to recruit technique that we like hmm. and, Again, Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf are two guys that had different looking golf swings that a lot of people thought they needed to change. And in um, visiting with their instructors, you know, I, I got to understand it, that was uh, um, Barry. I'm blanking on Barry's last name for Ricky, but very old school instruction that Ricky had growing up that he knew his golf swing. He knew how to make adjustments. And in talking with George and listening to how they worked on Matthew's game, I gained a wonderful respect for George Gankus. I didn't know him from anything, but what he talked about, how they worked on their, what they did. And I loved Matt's golf swing. Mm -hmm. um, you can recruit him with your back to him. He could manipulate the ball up and down. Um, he could shape the ball. He could do all those things. And the ball came out the same window every time. And George and, and he worked on that kind of stuff. And Ricky and Matt, both, we talked to them about, you ought to be giving the lessons, you know, not be, have a very thick filter and, um, you know, before you go to make changes. So when they get off, a lot of times, you know, obviously we're watching and hopefully one, a lot of times you're not as off as you feel like you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully we have a good relationship with the swing coach at home and can be make sure that what the players communicating back to them is reality because we're all emotional. And sometimes, you know, you can, especially when you're not right there as an instructor watching them, you go off of what they're telling you or even what they send you on a video and you can get kind of misinformation. So uh, hopefully, uh, we leaned on George a lot. He has a, he's a great motivator, knows Matt and cares about him deeply. Um, I couldn't think higher of, of George Gankus and what he does with his players. And certainly with Matt, he and Matt have continued to work in a similar way. It's not like he's traveling with him every single week and changed his, you know, once he turned pro, uh, Matt would want him to do that some and George resisted. So, um, we'll communicate with their instructor and, and hopefully, make sure if they're going to make a tweak or an adjustment that, that, that everybody's in alignment mm -hmm. and uh, kind of just keep them doing what they're doing. But both of those guys 
you just try to make sure there there's not some other you know before they go to changing a technique let's make sure that's actually what they need to get back uh, in, in alignment yeah well that's great stuff uh, coach i um i could probably ask you another seven or eight questions and you know maybe we'll do a episode two next year as things start to simmer down a little bit and uh, hopefully we uh start to move forward a little bit i feel for these kids you know with this uh, pandemic of course we all have to be safe and whatnot but man you only go to high school and college once you know and it's like i feel for these uh, young men not able to get that full experience some more than others but you know hopefully things simmer down we'll come back again and uh, I, I can't thank you enough for the time to to come on and talk about all these talented oklahoma state cowboys well, thanks for having me on. And I want to say something about that collegiate golf showcase. Yes. I, what a, what an awesome event that turned out to be. I hope that's something that's an annual deal and can continue to happen. Um, you've really got to give credit to uh, the people at Fidelity Sports that put it together mm-hmm. and, and Bob Parsons and to bring in guys like you to, to commentate and do things and the celebrities that they rounded up. I really thought that was a special event and what a great uh, I can't wait to see the show. I hope everybody watches because it's going to be a great advertisement of, I think, the product they'll see if, if people go to get to know the players uh, in college golf. And then, again, a credit to, one, the games that these celebrities had. I know. <laughs> um, some of the performance those guys put on, it, it's awesome. The it format is. all the way together, and they raised a million dollars for charities to go uh, to help our military Um I mean, Scottsdale National was amazing. All of that was uh, what a really cool experience. I think people are going to love to get to see these kids interact with um, an uber successful businessman and Bob Parsons, Mm -hmm. get to see a fantastic facility in Scottsdale National. And then uh, for the the fun competition to go shine and see these different formats, I think uh, they knocked it out of the park in the first year of the event. And it's a it's a great uh, advertisement for college golf, PJ tour, you, and just art, the game of golf in general. So thanks for having me on to talk about it. It was great getting to meet you out there and I hope our paths cross again soon. Absolutely. Alan Bratton, thank you for your time and, um, happy holidays to you. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero, X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 